This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 14th of October, 2010. We know who you are. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm feeling paranoid now, Gihan. <laughs> yes, that, that spooky voice that I introduced this with. <laughs> Why are you feeling paranoid, Chris? Well, it's all about uh, today's topic. Earlier in the year, we uh, we gave a podcast entitled We Know Where You Are, and that was about what's called locational awareness. That's the ability of third parties to determine your physical location when you're online. But it's not just that uh, locational information that can be determined by third parties. There's all sorts of other personal information that can be worked out, things such as the websites you visited, any goods and services you might have purchased online, the searches that you've performed, uh, your music and movie tastes, and also your social network. And the thing about this is that you don't necessarily need a special device such as a smartphone that's got a GPS uh, transponder installed, um, and you don't have to, um, uh, and it doesn't have to be web-enabled either. Uh, all you need is a web browser and an internet connection. And it's probably happening to you at this very moment if you happen to be listening to the podcast online. So what we're actually talking about today is sometimes referred to as internet tracking or web tracking. And what we're going to talk about is uh, the kinds of information that are being collected, uh, the th- why the third parties are so interested in this information, how it's actually implemented, what you can't do about it, and what you can do about it. And I thought I'd give a plug for the most uh, recent Dilbert cartoon. We'll include a, a link to that strip in our notes for this particular podcast. But it talks about... Uh, uh, it talks, talks about Dogbert, the consultant. He's saying, your customer's data is worth a fortune, he says to the CEO of Dilbert's company. And he said, I'll find some buyers if you give me 25%. And so the CEO responds with, what about privacy? And Dogbert says, that's not a problem. I never use my real name. <laughs> um, I'm laughing because it's funny. And also congratulations for um, getting, a, getting a cartoon across through an audio podcast, Chris. <laughs> So let's let's start talking about what information is being collected and actually who's collecting that information. And also the reason that we're doing this podcast now is because I think we did one earlier about privacy, but it's really become a lot bigger in the last, probably the last 18 months, certainly with people sharing stuff online with Web 2.0 tools. There are many more people who are interested in that information about us. Uh, and in fact, the people who are interested fall into these two groups. So there are, there are organizations which will collect the information for you. They're like advert, almost like advertising companies. And then they share them with their partners, which, which are third party websites. So it's not just a case that information that you disclose to one website becomes known to that website alone. It's now information that you disclose anywhere online can be shared among a number of different parties. And the sort of information that is being shared is, well, it's pretty much everything that you disclose online. And it's not only disclosed publicly, so even stuff that you put on something like Facebook, which is only visible to you or your friends or people in your network, Facebook can then share that information with its advertisers, with other websites, and with application developers and things like that. So any information that you voluntarily disclose is potentially up for grabs. The other thing that's available is information that you may 
disclose inadvertently without even realizing that you're doing it because the technology is doing it for you. So information about your browser, for example, is is sent to every website that, that you visit. So they know whether you're on a PC or a Mac, what kind of browser you're using, what version of the browser you're using, even some of the plugins that you've got installed in your browser. That's all available. Um, there are now websites. Websites can now track what you do on their site, so they can track not just the clicks, but they can even track where your mouse is moving around when you're moving your mouse around the page. Uh, Google can track your search history uh, if you're logged into Google when you're doing searches there. And... Uh, as we spoke about in a previous podcast, your location can also be tracked so people know where you are as well as who you are. So all of that's pretty scary. It is scary, and It's a, a very rich um, and diverse range of information that's being collected. And it to make, might make you wonder, why, uh, why is all this interest in me? And you might think it's a bit sinister and a bit, uh, a bit scary, but the primary reason is fairly mundane, and that is for better targeting of advertising. So it's all driven by websites that want to generate revenue through advertising, and the more effective that advertising is, then the greater the revenue that uh, the website can earn. And that means presenting to viewers of that, visitors of that website, advertising that is most appealing to them. So all of that information can be used and data mined by these companies to determine the best and most effective ads to show to you. And, for example, I notice, uh, notice that recently I've been doing searches for on Google for particular products, technology products, and uh, in some cases I've clicked on Google ads rather than the organic search results. And then when I've uh, visited other websites where um, Google ads are being, being shown, uh, ads for those companies' products that, whose ads I clicked on previously are being shown to me again, even though those ads might have nothing to do with the particular website I'm visiting. Google has determined that I've clicked on these particular technology products' ads in the past, and so therefore there's a good chance if they show these ads to me again, I'll click on them. Google will earn some revenue. The website that's also showing uh, the, the um, advert will also earn some revenue. So that's what it's all about, tying together your behaviour online uh, in order to present adverts to you that you're more likely to click on and hopefully make purchases at the end of the day. It's interesting that, Chris, you started off that by saying this is kind of a mundane reason and behind it rather than a sinister one. I think there'd be some people who think the exact opposite, that they don't want to be um, hounded by advertisers who, are now, who know so much about you that they can actually send you the stuff that's really targeted almost uniquely to you. Um, I... I'm curious to know what you think about it. I think the same as you. I think it's actually better if we're going to be paying for free information by seeing ads. We'd much better off be seeing. We'd much better off seeing relevant ads rather than just being bombarded with stuff that's not relevant to us. Yeah, I, I agree, Gihan. Um, I haven't taken. We're going to discuss some measures you can take if you are concerned about this. At the end of the podcast, there are some things that you can do, um, but I haven't. Uh, bothered with that sort of thing. I don't mind uh, seeing these adverts. I understand that websites need to, who are presenting, uh, providing free services need to earn revenue and that they can better do that if they present targeted advertising rather than uh, more bland, generic advertising. So I'm fairly comfortable with it. Mm, good. 
Uh, as the second aspect uh, to this kind of tracking is to actually improve the experience of uh, the website that you're visiting, so improve your personal experience. Uh, so it's not about generating revenue through advertising, it's about generating revenue by getting you to come back and use that website more often. So, for example, uh, Gihan, you use Google Reader, and you've mentioned that the blogs that you've subscribed to, iGoogle also shows them on a customised homepage for you. Yeah, and look, that's just... It's we always take this for granted nowadays that when you go to a website and you, you log in, then you can customize the behavior of the website. It's not just a case of static pages on the site that everybody sees the same content. It's because I visit um, the Google Reader site to subscribe to the blo- to, to read the blogs I'm subscribed to. It just has to be done that way, that I expect to see my blogs and not your blogs or other people's blogs that, that they're reading. So I get a better user experience because Google Reader is tracking who I am. Uh, and yeah. that's just obvious, I guess. But uh, for a long time, that wasn't the case, that in the early days of the web, every website that you went to, everybody got the same experience. But now, because of this tracking technology, different people can get different experiences. Yeah, and another clever use of this kind of tracking is the audio scrubbler plugin from last.fm, which is a music website, and I have that in my media player, and it reports to last.fm every uh, audio track that I listen to, and as a consequence, last.fm can build up a database of my musical tastes, and it can recommend to me other artists that I might be interested in listening to. Plus, it can also let me know about concerts and tours that are visiting Perth that happen to coincide with my particular tastes. So that's all about getting me to use the last.fm website uh, more often, maybe even subscribing. They have a, subscri- a paid-for subscription service or just buying tracks through the website and so they can earn revenue that way. Another use of this sort of thing is Twitter. So Twitter knows who you follow, and recently they've introduced uh, recommendations of other people that uh, you might be interested in following. So it looks at who you follow, it looks at who your the people you're following, who they follow, and vice versa, who your followers are following, and it builds up some suggestions uh, for interesting people that you might like to follow. So it's all based on uh, your your network of followers and followings. And... But recently, this might change. They might, they've uh, mooted the idea of allowing advertisers to pay money to Twitter so that they can suggest those advertisers as people that you might like to follow. Mm, and I guess that, I suspect that when they do that, they're probably going to again have it targeted so the advertisers can choose only to be recommended to the people that are interested in the sort of products that they're, that they're advertising. Yeah, and I think also it will be sensible if they differentiate between the organic recommendations, so the ones they have at the moment, versus um, the ones that are paid for, much in the way that Google has its organic search results plus the Google ads that are associated with your search results. Yep, yep, that's right. So, I mean, if we talk about the technology behind this Internet tracking, the technology has actually been around for a while. Certainly since the early days of the web, this has been this concept of a browser cookie um, and a cookie is it's like a, I guess it's like a ticket when you drop off your clothes at the dry cleaner. Um, he gives you a ticket, and then the next day when you bring the ticket back, he can match it up against your clothes. So he doesn't know who you are, uh, and he doesn't know any information about you, except for the fact that you happen to have the same ticket that uh, he gave you the day before. And that's really how browser cookies work. So when you visit a website, it will send to your computer, to your web browser, a cookie, so that the next time, 
you visit, it will then read that cookie, which has got a unique number, and knows that it's the same person who was there yesterday. So, so by itself, it doesn't do any harm, and it doesn't disclose any private information, but more and more websites are combining that with you logging in. And when you log into a site, like let's take Facebook, because everyone knows about it, you log into Facebook, you disclose some information, and then when Facebook reads back the cookie from your computer, it knows a lot about you. And in fact, when one of Facebook's advertisers, or Facebook's partners, reads that cookie, then Facebook can share that information about you as well. So it's now a lot more information that people get about you because you've voluntarily disclosed it. And I, I remember writing about cookies in my first book, uh, Secrets of Internet Business Success. That was in the last century, Chris. But because of these Web 2.0 sites like Facebook and Twitter, they've suddenly become a lot more powerful and advertisers and organizations can find out a lot more about you. So that's, that's the basic technology behind it, browser cookies, which have been around for a long time. There are now some more recent technologies, such as flash cookies. So if you use a, a website which plays a video, it's probably using Adobe Acrobat's flash technology. There's some new technology coming along. But at the moment, most video sites are using a flash and Flash itself has cookie technology, so you can block your browser cookies, but that doesn't help you block Flash cookies when we talk about some measures you can take later, as you mentioned, Chris. Then there are other things like web bugs, these things uh, which are based on the JavaScript programming language. And, and again, I remember in the early days, I would have JavaScript turned off just to protect my computer more um, and to protect my privacy. But now so many websites are using it that it's just not something that you can, that you can avoid either cookies or, or JavaScript. And the final one is there was some research done by the Electronic... Uh, what's it called? EFF, the Electronic... Frontiers Foundation. Yes, Frontiers yes, Foundation. that's right. They did some research on just looking at what information pe- people's browsers provided to websites, and they found that you know 80% of computers had a unique... What they call a browser fingerprint. So the combination of what computer you were on, what version of the operating system, what version of your browser you were using, what plugins you had, was enough to almost uniquely identify you. So again, it doesn't tell them anything about you, but it does mean that a site can identify you when you come back to it. That was astonishing when I uh, when I they set up a website where you could actually see what your fingerprint was using the technique you've just described. And I was astonished at just how much information, even if you've got, haven't got the Flash plugin, even if you've got JavaScript turned off, even if you've got browser cookies turned off, all that other information that your browser provides is astonishing you have. Yeah, exactly. And as we said, it's not, it doesn't tell them anything about you, but it's enough for them to be like, it's like a fingerprint that the, the next time you visit the scene of the crime, they can, they can match it up against the last time you did it. Precisely, yeah. So I guess we should talk about, given that we've scared people, Chris, we should talk about what you can do about it. Maybe we should start by talking about what you can't do, because some of this stuff, like we're going to talk about some of the measures you can take to protect yourself and protect your privacy and anonymity, but let's first talk about some of the things that can't be done. So it's nice to think that we have complete control over our privacy and our anonymity, but we don't. Our privacy leaks out in a number of different ways. So let me just go through a couple of them, Chris, and maybe you can jump in when you want to. Sure. So there, there are organizations, commercial, government, non-commercial, who know so much about us, more than ever before, and, and they share that with others. And sometimes it's without permission, but sometimes it's without. And you talked about the idea of Twitter sharing information, Chris, with advertisers. It already is selling its data to data mining companies who can then go through everybody's tweets and do some analysis on it. 
um, even off the internet, the, the UK, where you lived for a couple of years, Chris, and so did I, it's now full of these closed-circuit TV cameras. Um, and there, there's no exact number of how many there are, but there's an estimated 10,000 in London alone. So you, you pretty much walk down every street corner, you might be being recorded on a camera somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know whether you noticed that, Chris. It wasn't so prevalent when I was there, which was more than 15 years ago now, but you were there more recently. Yeah, I certainly did notice that, Gihan. And recently, uh, a couple of entrepreneurial websites have set up that make use of some of this CCTV footage um, in order to provide rewards to people who look at that footage through a web page and dob in people who they suspect of committing a crime. Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) So that's one of the things, and even governments are doing that. Even governments are doing that. The the other thing that we do is, you know, we'd like to say that we, we really care about our privacy and nothing matters more to us, and yet there are times that we are willing to swap give up some of our privacy in order to get some convenience. So, if, for example, I have a Woolies, uh, I forget what it's called, but one of those frequent buyer cards, and uh, that loyalty card means that I, you know, I, I flash it every time I go to the checkout counter, and uh, they would be keeping a record of everything I purchase, I'm sure. And in return, what they're giving me is frequent flyer points, which is, which is handy for me to then use in other ways. But I'm giving up some of my privacy by telling them what I buy and what my buying patterns are. Um, even without those loyalty cards, credit card companies know that know that about us, and you could get around that by always paying cash. But who does that nowadays? Hardly anybody. Um, I mentioned already that I used to, in the early days, not use uh, like have JavaScript turned off. I used to turn off all my cookies, or even ask uh, set up my browser so it would ask me every time a site wanted to send me a cookie. But there's so many sites that do that now that it's just not convenient. So I've just kind of given up on that, and I just automatically say, "Look, accept all cookies." Um, um, another example that some people are familiar with, that many uh, many listeners will be familiar with, is Amazon.com, which has its one-click shopping. So you can just it knows who you are. So you just when you're ready to order, you just say check out, and you don't have to fill in your whole name. Um, address details, where the shipping address, uh, even credit card details, are all available in Amazon. So you don't have to. So, so the shopping becomes more convenient. But I've given up some of my private information in order to get that convenience. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, Gihan, because recently I was making purchases, not from Amazon, and uh, I did a bit of uh, comparison shopping beforehand and came up with several sites that were very close in price. But ultimately, I went for the most expensive because that one didn't require me to create an account before I could make the purchase. And I think that's a smart decision. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it's smart because you def- because you chose that one over the other one because some people would have chosen the other one. But the fact that you actually did make that decision and you did think about it, I think is wise. And perhaps that's, that's one of the things that we should stress, to just think a little bit before making a decision about whether you're going to give up some of your privacy. So don't just automatically sign up to every loyalty card just because they say they're going to give you $2,000 uh, 2, frequent flyer points. Think about what, that, what they're getting out of it and what that might mean for you in the future. Yeah. Well, look, the other area that uh, in which you can't really control your privacy and what's done with your your private information is that there's some information that's 
that's public, strictly speaking, it's public. But now, but, but you might consider it private. And now there's so many ways that the internet makes it so much easier for organizations to aggregate, analyze and access it in ways that you suddenly think, okay, this is, strictly speaking, this is public, but it's kind of, it's kind of intrusive. And I think a few podcasts ago, Chris, you mentioned the idea about, you mentioned the, the story about one of our friends who, whose daughter was playing on her front lawn and she was snapped by Google Street View. And she was playing in a public place on on the on her own front lawn, but it was public in in public view. But suddenly, the fact that it was in street view suddenly made it uh, much more intrusive and seemed much more like an intrusion of privacy. Yeah, that's right. I did, and um, it's interesting that recently Eric Schmidt, the head of Google, and of course Google's owns Street View. What did he say recently about in the future that there's not going to be any transparency, no anonymity, and that uh, we might need to allow teenagers to change their names and change their identities at some point in the future so that they can eradicate their electronic pasts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I remember even like a decade or so before that, Scott McNeely, who was the head of Sun Microsystems, said, uh, what are the exact words? Something like privacy is dead. dead. Get over over it. it. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So it's, ahead of his time, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. But, but this has been around for a while. The issue's been around for a while, and it's certainly coming to a head now. Um, it's even to the, to, to the extent that I remember listening to a podcast where they were talking about some, some county police departments in the U.S. who are posting on their, on their website or their Facebook pages, depending on which, which department it was, uh, photos of people who are suspected of taking part in a crime or who had been arrested but not tried, not convicted, and they were public, pu- publishing them publicly on their Facebook page or their websites. And again, like strictly speaking, this is public information. And they, they say, they just, they just have a disclaimer that says these people aren't guilty unless they're convicted. But of course, once it's on there, the public will draw their own conclusions about it. And even then, you don't necessarily want to see your mugshot up on a police department's Facebook page. No, they're, they're, they're seldom flattering photographs. <laughs> that's, that's, another, that's another aspect of it, yes. And this whole idea of your mugshot is something that uh, people can recognize, you know, at the moment, you are in a public place. Not many people will recognize you, but uh, Google will soon have, if it doesn't have already, it will have face recognition abilities. So you can hold up your smartphone to somebody's face in a cafe or in a crowd, and then maybe you'll be able to do just press a button, take a photo, submit it to Google, and it'll do a Google search and find out all the information about that person. Now, again, it might be public information, but the fact that you can get access to it immediately based just on some, on some stranger's face suddenly makes it seem like much more of an intrusion of privacy. Right. Well, I think you've scared the wits out of our... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, think so. I seem to have taken the, the role of being the Grim Reaper in this podcast, Chris. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you're not completely helpless. There are some things that you can can do about this, this sort of information that's being collected. Uh and the first suggestion that we'd make is determine what your actual comfort level is. Think about what we've discussed today and and make your own decision about where where you sit. So you might be a bit like Gihan and myself in that you're comfortable with information being collected by advertisers and you're quite happy for them to target advertising at you and show more relevant adverts. In which case, you don't really need to do anything because, as we've described, that's already happening, it's already underway. Um, in fact, you could even go further and you could sign up and get a Google account and enable your web history and uh, make sure that you're signed in and you've got the Google toolbar. 
and even click on a few Google ads and you will start to, to have relevant ones, obviously. You'll start to see advertising being targeted uh, more directly at your interests. Yeah, the only one thing I'd add there, Chris, like you said, you don't have to do anything because it's already happening. Uh, the only one thing I'd add is to reinforce the point that I made earlier that even if you don't do anything, at least make a decision every time you have you come to this crossroads. Even if the decision is, yeah, I'm happy with what they're asking of me and I'm happy to disclose this information, at least make that decision consciously. Yeah, that's right. So be aware that it's happening and once you've got that awareness, then you can start making informed decisions. Uh, the next level, perhaps you're going to be a bit wary and you want to know a little bit more, then if you do have uh, a Google ad, then they've provided a tool which enables you to configure some preferences that control the amount of information they collect and um, and also disable some of those, those abilities. So we'll provide a link in the notes for this podcast uh, to your Google Ad Preferences webpage, as well as some of the other tools that we'll, I'll be mentioning after this. The next one of which is a plug-in for the Thunder, uh, sorry, the Firefox browser called Ghostery. So I use that, and whenever I visit a web page, it just pops up a little window that alerts me to the fact that there are some of these, um, these uh, plugins or these these web browser tracking tools uh, being used on the particular web page that I'm visiting, and I think it has an additional functionality which I don't use, which is to selectively block some of those, and that's perhaps where we can go. Uh, that that's perhaps something you can do if you're at the next level of. Um, wariness about this tracking. Uh, if you consider all this tracking to be an invasion of privacy and you don't want to be disclosing information uh, to third parties, then you can make use of that function of the Ghostery plugin where you start blocking some of those those cookies. Uh, there's another more popular tool called Adblock Plus, which works in the same way. It's a browser plugin, and again, it will show you what tracking is taking place on web pages that you visit and provide you with the ability to block the cookies from those third parties. So you won't see their adverts anymore and they won't be able to track you as you visit web pages where those adverts are normally placed. Uh, I also came across a tool recently called Google Sharing so that you can use the Google search engine in a fashion whereby Google isn't able to identify you and track your search history. Uh, so if you'd like to make, and, and also it's encrypted so um, any third parties can't intercept your um, it can't intercept the uh, searching that you're performing and the search results that you receive. Um, then there are some various um, government initiatives that are being put forward to protect privacy. So the FTC in the United States is planning on, has proposing to set up a do not track register. So it's a little bit like what we have in Australia and I think in the US as well, where you have a do not call register such that um, people who cold call you and try and sell you stuff over the phone, telemarketers are supposed to refer to that register and not call anyone who's on it. So a parallel service regarding web-based advertising, a do not track register, is being proposed by the FTC. Coincidentally, uh, the advertisers have, perhaps in reaction to this, have uh, set up a code of conduct which is going to be self-regulatory in which they're proposing to provide um, information alongside their ads that you that alert you to the fact that tracking might be taking place, and you can follow a link that provides you with more details about how your in, what information is being tracked and your rights and the privacy that you have in relation to that. So I think they're perhaps trying to head off the FTC. They don't want to have to conform to regulation. They'd rather be self-regulating. 
I think that's a big can of worms there. It's not as simple as doing a call register where you just say, okay, don't call me, and then you don't get disturbed by all these calls. But there will be people who will want to access their Facebook accounts, which means that Facebook has to do some tracking, but may want to put themselves in the do not track register so they don't want to see ads or how's that going to work. I think it'd be interesting to watch this space and see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's all coming to a head, as you said earlier, Gihan. So we have people like the FTC moving in one direction and then the advertisers and the website owners obviously moving in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go back to the old days, uh, like uh, Gihan and I did in the early days of the web, and you can disable JavaScript and you can disable cookies, but then you'll find that a vast percentage of the websites that you visit will no longer work. Uh, you can do that selectively, and some browsers allow you to look at all the cookies that have been stored, and you can block some, but that's quite laborious. And tools like Adblock that I mentioned earlier can, can kind of alt- automate that if, uh, if you need to. Uh, and finally, you can just opt out. You can close a Google account or not, ha- or, or if you have one, or, or choose not to have one. Uh, you can stop using Facebook and Twitter, um, but then you might have a much less rich web experience or internet experience as a consequence. Yeah, and nowadays, like closing a Google account, stop using Facebook and Twitter. Okay, so there's some people who don't use those services anyway, but there's so many other services that, that are tracking that saying opt out or asking people to opt out in such a way that they're not being tracked at all is like saying, if you don't like credit card fees, stop using a credit card because credit cards have become so ubiquitous that it's almost impractical to run a modern life without a credit card. Opting out is almost becoming not an option anymore. That's right, yeah. Uh, Conversely, there are technologies that allow us to take benefit that to enjoy the benefits of the of modern Web 2.0 online existence, but uh, and the EFF it will provide a link to that has uh, a lot of information about that. It's very clever technology that allows you to preserve some of your privacy and anonymity whilst enjoying the kinds of services like locational awareness and some of these other kinds of tracking uh, and control the kinds of information that uh, you share. But that's been implemented in only a very limited way and a very small number of websites uh, to date. Great. Well, I think that's about all we want to say on this subject, Chris. I promise that next time I'll be more, I'll be brighter, sunnier, and more optimistic about that <laughs> <about our> topic. <laughs> but it is, it is an important topic, and it is something that a lot of people aren't aware of. Just how much of their information is being shared on the internet, not just with the websites that they voluntarily disclose to, but with others as well, as well as the stuff that's being disclosed without their knowledge. Absolutely, and I'm sure there'll be more on this topic in the future and uh, we'll keep our listeners informed as events develop. Yeah, we certainly will. So thanks very much, Chris, and I'll speak with you again soon. Yeah, it might be a good point to introduce the idea that we're writing a book together at, this, at the moment, Kihan, and we're going to concentrate that on, on that for a while, so I'm not sure when our next podcast might be. Yeah, so we've been going, we've been trying to do it every two weeks, but it may shift it to every three or four weeks, and we'll just see, but we'll certainly have one. I think we should definitely have another one before the end of the year. For sure. Thanks, Chris, and bye for now. I'll speak to you then, Gihan. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.